trying to keep it in our pants as we record over Zoom. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 380 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by the wonders of the internet once again by Tony. Hello. Uh, by Andres. Hello. By English Dan. Good evening. And by Santi. Hi, guys. And it's also by my girlfriend who's just making a matter in the background. So if you hear the kettle starting to boil in a minute, then that's why. What are you saying, Dan? I say right. when you said um, the wonders of the internet, you're talking about us four, right? Of course I am, yes. Yes, excellent. Yeah. Um, okay, this time, this week's very exciting. We've got some actual football to talk about. This feels strange. Ooh. I've forgotten, I've forgotten how to do this. Six months, yeah. Yeah, six Ooh. months and one week, I think it was. The last matches mm-hmm. were on the 19th of March or something like that, weren't they? Um, that okay, yeah. yeah about that because there was the Independiente at a Copa Argentina game didn't they uh, Santi like the day before the announcement I don't remember if that game ever went ahead yeah there was, there was certainly another one that same week though I want to say something like I, I, I think the last, or something. Uh, the, the last games we I mean the last games that actually took place were were the, the ones that took place on a, behind closed doors where River protested the decision and decided yeah. not to the Copa Superliga. Um, anyway, uh, we have two rounds of Copa Libertadores action to catch you all up on because um, I thought that there were going to be matches last week and then a break and then more matches this week, uh, next week. But there have actually been matches both last week and this week. Um, so I apologise for that. My plan was to review one round, but we're going to be reviewing two rounds. I'll take you through all the scores, not just the Argentine sides. Because we may as well. Uh, so last week's matches, uh, starting on the 15th of September, um, went as follows. Colo Colo beat Peñarol 2-1 in Santiago and Jorge Wilstermann versus Atletico sorry, Paranaense finished 3-2 to the Brazilians um, in, I assume they're playing in Cochabamba. Um, those are both in group, I can't remember what group they're in, and my score app doesn't say, oh, group C by the look of it. Um, in Group D, Deportivo Binacional lost to Liga de Quito 1-0 at home. Uh, that is, well, not at home, in fact, in, in Lima uh, rather than in Juliaca, as English Dan explained last time. Uh, that's, of course, River Plate's group. Um, in Group G, Santos versus Olimpia, uh, that was 0-0. In Group F, Estudiantes de Mérida beat Alianza Lima 3-2. In Group E, Internacional versus América de Cali ended 4-3 uh, to the Porto Alegre side. In Group H, Independiente Medellín lost 3-2 at home to Caracas, which, just looking at that there, I, I haven't seen that score, and that seems surprising. 
given the general state of Venezuela and the historic state of Venezuelan football and many other things. Um, Group E, Universidad Católica 2, Gremio 0. Group B, Bolívar 1, Palmeiras 2. Group F on Thursday was when the Argentine sides all started to get involved. Racing 0, Nacional of Uruguay 1. Defensa y Justicia 3, Delfín 0. São Paulo 2, River Plate 2. Libertad nil, Boca Juniors two, uh, and then we have some. Uh, th- these are not Argentine sides, of course, but Independiente del Valle five, Flamengo nil, uh, in a Group A match, which I'm not sure whether the Recopa Sudamericana has actually happened, does it? Yeah. Anybody? Yes, it went for it went through. It went ahead. I think January and February right at the start of the year. Oh, okay. I've completely forgotten yes. about that. Who won? Flamengo won. This was the same two teams, of course, so Independiente del Valle getting a a certain amount of revenge for that, I guess. Um, Quite a bit of revenge. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Guarani 4, Tigre 1 in another Argentine-involving match. And then Barcelona of Ecuador uh, 1, Atletico Junior of Colombia 2. And then this week's matches have been Estudiantes de Merida 1, Nacional 3, so a really good doubleheader of games for Nacional, uh, beating Racing and then Estudiantes de Merida, both away from home. Tigre won, Bolívar won. Uh, Barcelona won, Flamengo two. Junior four, Independiente del Valle won. So swings and roundabouts for Independiente del Valle. One week you're thrashing the defending champion senseless and the next week you're getting thrashed senseless by arguably the minnows of the group. Um, Binacional nil, River six. Liga de Quito 4, São Paulo 2. Pretty torrid week for the team who were top of the Brazilian league. I'm not sure whether they still are. Uh, Caracas 2, Libertad 1. So a really good week for Caracas. Defensa Justicia 2, Olimpia 1. Um, Atletico Paranaense 2, Colo Colo 0. Alianza Lima 0, Racing 2. América de Cali 1, Universidad Católica 1. Internacional Gremio de Porto Alegre Clásico. Ended 1-0 to Gremio. Guarani Palmeiras was 0-0. Jorge Wilstermann beat Peñarol 3-1 in uh, Bolivia. Independiente Medellín 0, Boca Juniors 1. And Delfín 1, Santos 2 in the last match of last night. We're recording on Friday. That was played on Thursday night. Um, Where shall we start? Any preferences? I think I'd like to say just as a general point before we go into kind of the match by match. I don't know if I speak on everyone's behalf here, but I was really quite surprised generally by the the Argentine teams how well they they stood up right to the um, to the Libertadores clashes across the board. You know, I think we can take out Tigre because they're just rubbish. But the other four teams, I think, despite yeah. not having played not having played for six months, they they held their own yeah, pretty the much every game. Question though: Are Argentine Argentine teams that good, or are the rest of South America really, really poor? This is the question. I think, yeah, definitely from watching the two uh, Racing matches, I thought, I mean, is this it? <laughs> oh crap! Yeah, no, I didn't like it either. Apparently, I'll take over then. Um, yeah, no, I, I was actually going to say at some point that I. I I certainly said, and I can't remember whether anybody else said or not, um, when we last recorded, that the Argentine sides were likely to have 
to be to be giving all the others a certain advantage uh, through not having played. Um, but yeah, it became apparent really, even during the Racing game, although Racing ended up losing it um, against Nacional, that that wasn't really going to be the case because you'd have expected it to be a physical, you know, match fitness problem more than anything else. Uh, Racing kept going right to the end. They were they were well on top. Nacional were rather fortunate to to get the win. It was through a penalty, wasn't it? Fairly early in the second half. Um, and yeah, that that pattern kind of continued thereafter. I mean, São Paulo River was a really really good game, and that was, as I said, São Paulo top of the Brazilian league. Um, River, as you said, going into it as not having played him in a while, and two two was probably about the right result. River were two one up for a, a short period, quite late in the second half, um, and it wouldn't have been you know daylight robbery if they'd come away with the win even. Um, and then since then, we've seen some pretty comfortable wins. I mean, Libertad Boca was a fully deserved 2-0 for Boca, I thought. Um, it was an, a, a perfect away game, albeit there was some controversy over whether a lot of the Boca players actually ought to have been allowed to travel for it, perhaps given their COVID status. Um, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, I think you could, you could uh, read it both ways. I mean... Uh, that the Argentinian sides are are, are, quite, are quite good, and and the other uh, teams in South America uh, are poor because uh, you mentioned Boca winning uh, uh, fairly in, in Paraguay, and after that uh, I think Libertad lost again uh, the other night, and Ramon Diaz uh, quit as a coach. So you could read it uh, both ways, um, but it's surprising that Argentinian teams were so good at this uh, physical uh, form because yes, they were six months uh, with no activity while other countries have already started playing uh, one or, or two months ago or even three, I think. So uh, you could read it, I think, yes, uh, the both ways that Argentinian sides are good, but the others are, aren't, uh, are, are crap or, or rubbish, like, like Dan said. Yeah, and not just the Argentine teams as well. I mean, the Venezuelan teams. They had uh, three matches and won, uh, four matches and won three of them. And I think before that, they haven't won uh, Libertadores' game, uh, group game at least, since what, about 1987? So is the key in South America just playing less football? Does that, is, you know, does practice not make perfect in South America? Is this the, uh, the takeaway we have to, um, we can conclude? Yeah, it's not great for those of us who would like to do away with some of the stereotypes of it all just being about passion and energy, is it? Uh, <laughs> got plenty in the legs still. Um, in terms of, of the individual teams, I mean, we, we've already talked a little bit about Racing, so we may as well uh, talk about the, the rather topsy-turvy six days or so there was, wasn't there, between those two matches? Um, I don't know that, yeah. Racing, as I sort of said already, were, I thought, largely on top of the play against Nacional. And then the second game, which was against Alianza Lima, was just ridiculously one-sided. Um, they had to wait to the 87th minute before they broke the, the deadlock. Um, but, I mean, 
once they had done it, it, it never, although I it would have found it very amusing if it had finished 2-2 after they scored those two goals in two minutes, followed by five minutes of stoppage time. Um, but I mean, really, it was, the, the golfing class was just amazing. Uh, I, I don't think I can recall seeing something like that without, you know, a, a, a scoreline like two of the ones River have racked up in this very group stage, the 8-0 and now the 6-0 against Binacional. Um but it's such a dominant performance with such a low score. Are you worried about their inability to hit a cow's ass with a banjo, Dan? Or? <laughs> uh, obviously, I would have liked to um, liked them to score a couple of goals in the first half and maybe not be shitting bricks all the way through the second. Um, but, you know, this is what happens. Um, uh, as you said before, against uh, Nacional as well, they weren't quite as dominant. Dominant, obviously, but uh, for my money, they shaded that game. Um, it came down to um, kind of a 15-minute uh, nap, you could say, in, at the start of the second half where they conceded a ridiculous penalty. It was a soft, you know, a penalty, the kind of penalty you see all the time now, all the time these days where absolutely no intent in the handball, but by the letter of the law, it is a penalty and it came from a very sloppy um, kind of carry out from, from defence. Um, and then to compound that, just about two minutes later, Racing were also uh, reduced to 10 men when Augusto Solari got sent off on his first game back, uh, I think in about in a, in more than a year because he, he had a, uh, a cruciate ligament injury. Uh, but even then, I, I don't know what you guys thought, but with 10 men and, and a goal behind, like Racing were on top. And obviously they were, they were the ones looking for the goal, not. Uh, rather than Nacional, but they still, you know, they made up for that numerical inferiority pretty well. And then, yeah, as you say, in Lima against Alianza, it was just total, total dominance. I've um, called up some of the stats here. Uh, possession, Racing 74, Alianza 26%, 27 shots for Racing, five for Alianza, nine on target for Racing, uh, zero for Alianza. Uh, they missed uh, just the probably the easiest one-on-one -on -one you've ever seen in the first half through Walter Marantosha, who just had the goal gaping in front of him and completely panicked and and knocked it wide. They then have the penalty, which was saved very well, to be fair, by Alianza's evergreen keeper, Butron, 43 years young. Um, and it was just amazing how the ball wouldn't go in. Um, and obviously, as the minutes went through, went by, uh, Racing started to get a bit desperate in the second half. There were some interesting substitutions by, by Bekasese, uh, which had us all doubting a bit too, and Racing seemed to lose a little bit of their effectiveness. Oh, dear. Uh, but then, right at the end, you know, uh, Bekasese time, as anyone who can think back as long as uh, 2009 uh, Superliga will remember. In Becasese time, Racing just came through. They got the goal from Thiago Banega, um, a young academy guy, 21 years old. And then Benja Garre, the erstwhile Man City reserve who never played a game, uh, stepped up and uh, put the result beyond doubt. So, yeah, um, a fair result, if not um, underestimated, uh, which took rather longer than it should to have come. Yeah, it, it was um, 
looking frustrating, but uh, and, and, until that late bit. Um, the next team, I think we should... Actually, let's just, to make this simple, since we began with Racing, who were the first of the Argentine sides to play on Thursday, uh, let's just take this in the order that they all started or restarted their campaigns, um, which means that next up are Defensa y Justicia, um, who have had two good wins uh, in Group G. 3-0 at home to Delphine. Not really very much to write home about there. They were a little bit less dominant than the Racing uh, away to Alianza Lima. But to be honest, not a hell of a lot. 70% possession to 30. Uh, only about half the number of shots of Racing, interestingly, but managed to score uh, one more goal and also break the deadlock quite a lot earlier. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they looked fairly sharp at home to opponents who we knew were no great shakes anyway in that game. Um, but then had to host Olympia, who are you know one of the giants or historic giants at least of this competition, um, and were made to dig rather deeper, albeit helped out by a relatively early goal from Washington Camacho 20 minutes in, um, and came away with what I thought again was a, a well-deserved victory, um, really. It, it was a, a rather more even game, um, but they had to, to dig in and, and they got the result. They were helped, admittedly, by a ridiculous cut, uh, red card for um, Ernesto Caballero for, for Olympia. I don't know what any of you guys made of that, if indeed you saw it. Yeah, it's a it's a fiery start for uh, Independiente Louni Brian Romero, who apparently seems to be on the right track finally. Which uh, I don't know how it bodes for his Independiente future, but uh, at least it's a rather encouraging sign if Independiente decides to sell. But uh, yeah, we'll see if he can keep it up. Sorry, I took a big bite of cake just as you started to talk something. So, um, hence the yeah, delay. Just talking, changed it all about Independiente as always. Yeah, we'll <laughs> forgive him. Must feel a bit um, Sorry, Sam. Yeah, and <laughs> Caballero's second yellow card, I think, appeared to be awarded for being kicked in the foot by a defensive Justicia player um, as he went in to challenge him. I, I, I couldn't work out why that was. We should even say that's, by, um, that was Ernesto with an H, as the commentators yes. insisted on pointing out every time he got the ball. Yes, Ernesto Caballero. <laughs> um, it is a, a fantastic name. Yes. I'd say in more general terms, um, I don't know how many of us can remember back to these first Libertadores group games in the op- and, you kinda, and the first games of 2020 way back when. But I got the feeling that um, Hernán Crespo had, had defensive Cortesia already playing... Some really nice football. They they looked very impressive uh, in his first few games, but the results weren't quite coming. Right? They were um, they were fairly unlucky to lose their first two games in the Copa um, uh, against Olimpia and against the other side in the group, Santos. Uh, who they didn't play. And Santos, of course, uh, they gave both of them a fairly good match. Uh, yeah, had a bit of a bit of bad luck, and it seems that. But the breaks done them good that, you know, where they were kind of missing the chances before, now they're going in, they're getting a bit of a bit of the run of play. And we know from Defensa Cordicia, um, you know, all the way back from when Becker says he was in charge, it's a team that plays nice football, they they're direct, they get it they get um they get into scoring positions and 
and uh, just very effective and and it came off this time around I think um, and definitely changed the chances because you'd say you know before the Libertadores resumed they, they had zero points from two games and Olympia Santos both looking strong uh, to qualify and and now you'd say you know all bets are off I mean they got to go to Ecuador next week and then and then to Santos so they got two very tough games to close out the groups but who knows if they if they play that kind of football they could well make the last 16 yeah they're second at the moment in group G Santos have 10 points Defensive DCS six, Olympia five, and Delphine one. Um, so mathematically, anybody can still do it. But in practice, as you say, if, if they get a win away to Delphine um, and Santos beat Olympia, then Defensive DCS will be in the second round. Yeah, and and if I mean, even if Santos and Olympia draw, if Defensive DCS get a win against Delphine, they'll be in a very strong position. Because um, their goal difference is better than Olympia's, and there'll be three points ahead of them going into that last uh, last game. So avoiding a thrashing against Santos might be good enough in the final round. Uh, we shall have to see. They have uh, some. They have Enzo Fernandez, the former River player. Uh, I think he uh, wasn't. Uh, he wasn't able to to play in the first uh, team uh, at River. He talked with Gachardo, who. Told him he wouldn't be taken into account in the in the team, uh, but he's in the similar position or uh, quite uh, 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 yeah similar position to Enzo, another Enzo Enzo Perez, and in fact he said he learned from him, uh, and now he's uh, at the first team of defense justicia and he at the other night played really well. He did, yeah. I forgot he was River, yes. uh, but he looks he looked very sharp, and it is of yes. course although. Uh, uh, Dan mocked Santi a bit for bringing an independiente player into it in, in discussion of Defensa Justicia. This is quite difficult to completely ignore every time we talk about Defensa Justicia, the fact that like half of their squad actually belong to other clubs. Um, and in a way, well, that makes it the, more difficult to, to bring everyone together. Yeah, yeah this, is kind of a, this has been their muzzle for about uh, three or four years and it's proved to be a really, really successful for them. It has. Uh, next, on the Thursday night last week playlist were River, who we were all expecting to struggle probably a little bit away to Sao Paulo, um, but who, as I said already, were involved in a much more even game. I thought they were largely on top of the second of the first half. Sorry, the second half um, was 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 much more balanced. Um, Enzo Perez scored an own goal early on. Rafael Santos Borre equalised. Julian Alvarez put them ahead 80 minutes in, as I said, relatively late on. Uh, and then there was another own goal from Fabricio Anghileri, uh, which saved Sao Paulo's bacon. Um, that, I was about to check the standings, and then I remember that there was another match to talk about. Uh, the other match was something of a non-contest. This was on uh, Tuesday, where they travelled to Lima to play Binacional. And basically, we saw there... Um, what we would have seen in the Racing game this week if Racing strikers could have finished. Because uh, there were very similar levels of, of dominance, but the main difference was that River got half of their shots on target and scored half of the ones that they got on target um, and won 6 nil. Not yeah, really a lot to comment on about that one. I think I read somewhere that that's the biggest 
aggregate score in any uh, Libertadores group tie because they won the first leg 8-0, right? So 14, yes, they, they, won, they won the first one. 14, it was 8-0 and River missed two penalties in that match. I'd, I'd completely forgotten that that had happened yeah. until this one kicked <laughs> off and the commentators started talking about it. I think that is uh, the biggest uh, winning margin for any kind of home away game in the Libertadores. Anyway, the, the goalkeeper, uh, I think it's Fernandez. Uh, considered only 12 of, out of the 14 goals because uh, when they were 6 nil in the Monumental he had had to leave uh, and uh, so well that's uh, not uh, all of the goals were considered by him but that's yeah, more consolation one of the defenders had to go in yeah. goal didn't they for the last few minutes because it, it was after uh, they'd used up all their subs was it John Fajardo rings a bell for some reason I think um They've got a fantastically named player as well, by the way. I'm only just looking at the lineup and paying it actual attention now. But their right back, Dowling Leudo. First name, D A H W L I N G. We were talking uh, before, a... before we started recording about names uh, hmm. and how, how it's possible that some of the Venezuelan, Ecuadorian, or, 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 or even the, Car- the Caribbean world may get. To, to name some of the child's COVID or Corona. <laughs> so what what are the odds that we're going to get a footballer? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, they're, uh, they're central midfielder as well. They're captain, Yorkman Tolio. Yorkman Tolio. As in, as in <laughs> Richard III or something. Um, anyway, the, the standings in Group D are Liga de Quito still top with nine points. Um, River second with seven points um, and a goal difference of 11. Sao Paulo third with four points after they got... What happened to them against Liga de Quito, remind me here? Uh, they lost 4-2, of course they did. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Binacional uh, bringing up the rear. Although still on three points because they got a surprise win against... Was it Sao Paulo in the second... Yes, they played at Juliaca at, at that point. Uh, that's why Sao Paulo is... Well, they kind of complain, but uh, well, it's, there is a coronavirus uh, mm. problem, but yes, they have to play there at Juliaca and they lost, that's why they have now four points. So River's remaining games, they host Sao Paulo um, next week, uh, and then they play, oh for God's sake, I'm the, the, the 20th of October. Yes, that's, the, that's right, that's, that's also at home, I was, that's what I was just looking up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's going to be uh, like a three-week gap after next week's matches for, well, for River at least. I don't know what's happening in the other groups, but that must be when the Sudamericana uh, restarts, I assume. Yes, that's see. because of the qualifiers, I think. Mm. Uh, of course, yeah, I forgot there were internationals. We'll be talking about those later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Boca Juniors have managed to record two straight wins as well. Uh, they have, haven't they? Is that, have I got that right? Yes, Yes, good. Yes, yes. Uh, Somoza with a 100% record as manager. <laughs> Indeed, yes, because uh, Miguel Angel Russo hasn't been involved in either of them. Uh, Eduardo Salvio uh, has had a very good week or so. He scored both goals away to Libertad. And if I remember correctly, he also scored the only goal away to yes. Dim the other night, didn't yes. he? Um, he did. Last night. Of course it was last night, yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty... No nonsense, really, against um, against Libertad. I thought, in particular, it, it was you know just a, a very solid um, p- 
performance against a, a team who traditionally are very tricky opponents, you know, with all the cliches about playing hard and and uh, being difficult on their own turf come come out of the bag when you're talking about Paraguayan sides in the Libertadores. Um, but Boca did, did a very good job. And then last night against Deem, uh, they did a much less good job, it has to be said, but they still got the win. Yeah, it's very similar to um, the Alianza Racing game, right? They were just knocking on the door all the way through and just and couldn't get the goal. And when it finally came, it was a, no, I wouldn't say fortunate rebound. Um, Salvio was in the right place at the right time, as he has tended to be over this last fortnight. But And he seized on the chance when Nicolas Copaldo really fluffed his lines um, clean for on goal. Uh, yeah, I think they deserve the win. They uh, are a good value for, for both of them. Um, I must say, I didn't watch last night's game too closely. I watched Libertad more and, and that was very, a very impressive uh, performance because there was a lot of heat about that game, more, more due to uh, COVID than, than anything else. What was the... Um, the banner Libertad fans uh, held up to, to welcome them. Um, Bostero, infected mafioso Bosteros, or something like that. So it was a very warm welcome. Of course, that didn't make too much difference in the stadium itself because fans aren't allowed. But, uh, but yeah, those it's quite impressive for the book. Those were your fans? I, I think last night, actually, I saw... Um, a river banner up. There was one saying, I don't know, welcome to Quintero land, Juan Ferro Quintero land, or some crap like that. And wow. it didn't have much effect. Dude, they, they, had to, dude, they had to amp up their efforts a little bit. I mean, that's tame. Mm. So, talking a little bit about uh, Boca, I think that the two, two games were quite similar in, in a way because, and, and I feel, and maybe it's just me seeing uh, football, South American football, for a long after a long time, but it feels like most of the Argentinian teams, like maybe River, um, we were too worried with um, n not being competitive on the physical side because of those months without playing. But I think there were that the, you can see a, a lot more of, of struggles. It's on the decision make decision making. Um, Boca could have won both games earlier. I, I know that against Libertad they, they scored a goal earlier, but uh, they could have killed the game and, and just score goals if they were more uh, clinical or, or, or trying to, to shoot when they had to shoot or pass when they have to pass. And it feels, uh, watching Racing for me too, like they could have won the game a lot earlier if they were more, uh, had more finesse. I think that's that's where I can see more problems in terms of lacking football. I know what you guys think about that. I mean, I in a way, that feels that. like... Sorry, Dan, go on. Sorry. Uh, I think it was partly that, but then uh, Racing were also without Lisandro Lopez, who's, who's very important up front. Darío Svitanich, I think, was half fit as well, and I think he played something like the first half against Nacional and only the second half or, or last 20 minutes against um, the other team, Alianza. Uh, so that definitely um, contributes as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd say that for a team like Racing, you know, who kind of, unlike Boca, are one that just want the ball all the time, don't kind of play the smash and grab. They want to be on their opponents 
all the time, pushing forward, getting the ball in the box, kind of uh, where the lack of match practice will affect you is in those final moments, uh, finishing and, and accuracy, accuracy, I say, rather than, than just pure fitness. Yeah, well, you've still got it in your legs to, to get the finish away after creating the chance and getting into the position or whatever. Um, and I, I think in a way as well, I, what I was going to say was that it, there is, as Dan kind of hinted out there, th- there's an extent to which you can talk about like the DNA of the team. And, and we could have said at any point, it feels like in, in the decade nearly that we've been doing this podcast, um, that Boca have made heavy work of this, but they've managed to win the game. Um, because that is what Boca Juniors are doing when they're at their, their best and, and their most Boca-like. Um, and I don't mean that as an insult. I, I, I would hope that if we had any, um, any Boca fans on here, that they wouldn't uh, take it in that way. Um, but it also has to be said that, you know, Tony, you, you mentioned all of the Argentine sides apart from River have had this to an extent. And yeah, I mean, River were obviously impressive against San Paolo, but they're also the only one of the Argentine clubs who've had the good fortune of playing against a team who are so clearly out of their depth um, as being Astionala Nacional uh, in, in this Libertadores group. Um, so it's kind of, I think it, it, it swings around roundabouts. It goes both ways. No comment on that? I, I, mean, I, I was thinking a little bit about our Sao Paulo and how badly they defended also in their next game. I think it was against Liga de Quito. Yeah. And they were awful. So I thought River could have won that that game easily. Um, I mean, not easily, like the war itself, but they could have won it. It's just unlucky. Yeah, I mean, I I think it said a lot that, as as I mentioned, that San Paolo's two goals both came from from River own goals rather than through San Paolo's brilliance. Albeit the second one in particular was a, a pretty clear chance, which Franco Armani managed to push away. But unfortunately for him, Fabrizio Aquila. There he couldn't uh, get out of the way of, of where that push went to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, that perhaps was was a little bit lacking in sharpness. Um, anyway, Boca's group, uh, Boca, I think, are pretty much definitely through now. Uh, they're, they're top of Group H. They've got 10 points. Caracas are second with seven. Um, that could be a little bit of history in the making there. Libertad have six. And Independiente Medellin uh, are bottom and do not have a single point yet in that group. They've lost all four of their games. Boca's remaining two games are both at home. They're hosting Libertad and then Caracas. So, I mean, really. Yeah, they are through. Mathematically, they are through. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, because they have four more points than... Well, no, not not, not exactly. Sorry. Three more Uh, than... Yeah, they have four more than than the third place team. Oh, sure, but with two games... They have an extra... Yeah, ah, right, right, yeah. So, uh, But yeah, yeah, I mean, really, next week uh, at home to Libertad, you'd expect them to do the business there and all they need is a draw. Um, exactly, yeah. In, in the Bombonera at home against a team that they've just pretty comfortably seen off away. Um, so yeah, they're, they're pretty much done and dusted. Um, Guarani, sorry, not Guarani, Tigre. <laughs> I just went to the team who won and then realised that that was not what I should be doing. Tigre have definitely... Um, and unsurprisingly, had the hardest time since the Libertadores restarted. They are, after all, a second division side. Um, they did have the rather pleasant sensation of going 1-0 up at home to Guarani. Nine minutes in, uh, Pablo Magnin 
opened the scoring, but then unfortunately they let four goals in. Um, the first of which the equaliser was scored by Bautista Mellini, uh, who is the former San Lorenzo hotshot. Or never quite hotshot, but yeah. Um, so unlucky for Tigre, they followed that up with, just reminding myself this, ah oh yeah, the draw against Bolivar, which was rather more creditable. Um, but they're, they're not going to be pulling up any trees in this Libertadores. So I don't think that, that is a surprise to say. And I don't think we were predicting it really either. They were the only team, the uh, Argentinian side, that they couldn't win a single match in this comeback for Libertadores, I think. Um, yeah. And yes, they, they could have won it because they had chances against Bolivar, but there was a terrible blooper by, by Marinelli, the, the goalkeeper. And well, he uh, sadly, sadly was the, was responsible in a way for, for the draw because it was 1-1 one, one and the goal of Bolivar came from a, a terrible mistake by him. And then they missed the penalty um, yes. in, the, in stoppage time. Yes. Yeah, it was an amazing period of stoppage time, that. They, they had the penalty saved, and then well, uh, Bolivar went up the other end and almost nicked it themselves. Um, that was the most yeah, interesting bit been, of the game. That would have been devastating for them. Hmm. Uh, indeed. Uh, Magnin scored... Open the scoring in that game as well, though. So he's got two in, in two games. Sorry, it's a bit of Mate's just gone down the wrong way. So I'm struggling to speak. He's got two in two games. Um, so he's having, on a personal level, a pretty good comeback. Um, but just not quite there with everything else. Uh, their standings, for what it's worth, in Tigre's group are that Tigre, you will be unsurprised to hear, at the bottom of the group with one point. Um, Palmeiras top with 10 Guarani have seven points and Bolívar have four. So Palmeiras are right on the verge of qualification um, with two matches to go uh, in that group. And I think, if I'm correct, Tigre can't go up now, right? Uh, can't go through, can, you mean? They can't I mean, go they, into the I top I think six. they could. There are six points to do. I mean, it's, it, it takes a miracle, but... Yeah, they need Guarani. Uh, no, because Guarani they and need a big goal play swing. each other. Mm. Yeah, it's unlikely. I think they need they need to beat Guarani and Palmeiras, and for Bolivar to draw against to lose against Palmeiras and draw against Guarani or something like that. But that, I, yeah, even that doesn't do it though, because that, that gives Guarani the point that they need. Yeah. And if no. Bolivar win, Guarani don't get the point they need, but Bolivar do get three points that they could. Oh, that could actually, yeah. That, okay. If if what you've happens, if you if what you've described happens, but Bolivar beats Guarani. Yes, that's it. Then we could end yeah. up with Guarani, Bolivar, and Tigre all finishing on seven points. Yeah. Um, so in that case, they just have the small number matter of goal difference to uh, <laughs> to deal with. Yeah. Waranese is currently plus three and Tigres is minus seven. So quite a swing required. Maybe they'll completely like thrash Palmeiras. We never know. Yeah, why not? Um, has anybody enjoyed any of the matches not featuring Argentine sides since the uh, 
lockdown. Well, there was the there was the big, big, big surprise of um, Independiente del Valle absolutely thrashing the the title holders Flamengo five mm-hmm. one, I think it was, or five nil. Five nil, yes. And they were know, yeah. lucky as well to get past Barcelona, who have been the worst team by far in, in Group A. They were really made to sweat in that, that match afterwards. But I must say, I, I didn't watch the Independiente Flamingo match because I think it was on at the same time as Boca Libertad. But I wish I did because it does sound like a hell of a lot of fun. And Independiente <laughs> could have won 7 or 8 nil instead. Yeah, of, uh, Flamingo who are in an absolute, um, they are living in absolute mayhem right now, not just uh, in the footballing sense under Dominic Torrent, um, the former Pep Guardiola assistant, but also because um, I think they have 33 people who are uh, currently infected with coronavirus. Yeah, including 14 or 15 squad members. They've got a squad of 40 and I think 15, 14 or 15 uh are positive at the moment. Incredible. Yeah. And for that Incredible. match and for that match against Barcelona they had to fly out three kids on the day of the game. Uh, and they got stuck in Manaus. And they got stuck in Manaus because they couldn't get permission to fly over Peru, yeah. They arrived in the end about two hours before kickoff. They couldn't get permission uh, to fly over Peru. No. Why yeah. did they need like, that? Uh to get to Ecuador. Because they were minors. Oh, no, I get why they needed to go over yeah. Peru, but why did they need permission to go through Maybe Peruvian airspace? Maybe because they were minors. I mean, the, oh, that's, that's, yeah, because the virus, I guess, controlling all the you know flights in, out, and over Peru. Apparently, in the United, it's a privately chartered jet, not a, a commercial airline, or I don't know. Uh, the point is, it happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like every day we get one of these games that. Uh, that ends in absolute chaos. Um, the the game between um, Atletico Tucumán and I think it was um, what was the game they, they needed to qualify and they 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 were late for the flights and they they had to play in Argentina shirts against who it was uh, against Nacional 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 yes. Uh, right. Quito. yes ah right Nacional from Quito it's like every year we get one of those games in the Libertadores <laughs> and I love to see it I have a feeling this year we're going to have a whole lot more. Just because of the fuck up this is how virus is made. Yeah, it's multiplied by five or something. Having said all of that, uh, it is worth pointing out for Independiente del Valle fans that um, in that 5 0 match, Flamengo, I'm just looking at their lineup now, were pretty much full strength. Mm. Um, I mean, they had the, the problems with the Barcelona game, but when, when they were traveling to, uh, to play Independiente, they were. That looks to me like their first choice lineup, or something close to what their first choice lineup was during last season's Libertadores. Um, so it was a good win for Independiente del Valle. Um, the other one that stood out, did anybody catch it? I, I'm afraid I was not able to watch, but the Porto Alegre Clásico Internacional against Gremio um, a couple of nights ago. I completely I forgot about it. it, I must admit. Uh, if I'd known it was on, I would have watched it, but. I, uh, <laughs> I was, it's fair I was to say it doesn't look like it was a classic. <laughs> I mean, it was a classic in the most literal sense of the word classical, of course. But you a know typical what I mean. derby, isn't that the cliche? You know, mm. yeah, like the cagey affair. Yeah, a cagey, uh, a cagey half-fought tense derby. <laughs> yeah, what I can't remember is how the first of those matches went. 
Um, I I'm would, sure that this was the second one they played, wasn't it? Neil Neil with a lot of red cards. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, I that was the one now. with the, like, ah, yeah. seven red cards towards the end, wasn't it? Right. That, that was the one that got the, the most memorable. Mm. Ah, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so the standings in that group now, and that those two teams have got seven points. Inter have a goal difference of plus three and Gremio of plus one. Um, America de Cali have four and Universidad Católica have four. So with two games to go, it is still anyone's group, uh, Group E. That looks like a, an interesting one to follow. Uh, perhaps not if you want just top quality football, but certainly if you want four teams, all of whom could very realistically still top the group um, and any of whom could still finish bottom and not even be in the Sudamericana. Pay attention to that one. Um, other teams elsewhere who've, who are going to be, you know, among the protagonists, let's say, in this Copa, Santos uh, got that 2-1 win away to Delphine right after um, getting a draw against Olympia. So they're up and running with, with a win since the restart as well. And are, I know I've read this out already because they're in defence of the group, but just reminding myself, topping. Um, group G, four points clear of defence of DCF, five clear of third place to Olympia. So all but through as well. Um, who else are we expecting now? Two thirds of the way into the group stage. Are we starting to form any opinions about which teams are going to be challenging for the, the trophy? I think most Argentines perhaps. Uh, Palmeiras, they're looking very solid, not giving much up. Got a win. I mean, 2 1 against a waiter Bolivar doesn't sound much on paper, but when you think it's in La Paz, that's a very strong result indeed. Yeah, not and afraid to play to... rather ugly as well. No, so is it too not. early for, for, for me to put a little bet that at least one Ecuadorian team will get to the semifinals? They're fun. Semifinals? Okay, that would be. I, I was going to, to say that we will uh, have to to see what happens when they qualify uh, to round 16, but um, they are they are top of, the, of their of their groups, so uh, it's I think surprising, but they, they are they are they are good and uh, perhaps Nacional of Uruguay and Flamengo because they are the champions even even when they had these cases of coronavirus. But uh, uh, apart from them, I don't see any other strong teams. It's, it, it, even providing or or, or uh, uh, providing the, the 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 way the Argentinian sides played uh, after the, all of this inactivity, I think that uh, uh, there are only a few teams that could uh, could challenge them. Uh, in fact, there are people saying uh, whether Boca and River could play again uh, will be the third time in a row. But I think that uh, except for the Equatorial Ecuadorian sides and Perhaps Nacional and Flamengo, I don't see any other really, really strong team. Yeah, it's all very even at the moment. I mean, we've yeah. had this great leveller across the continent, of course, which I think yeah, I think, would I think we're going to have to wait and see a, a, a little longer to, to, to like, um, try to um, realise who are the actual candidates for the title because, I mean, it's only been two games after uh, six months uh, freeze, so it's it's rather difficult to assess as well. Mm. Indeed. Um, I think we'll take a half-time break now, uh, let everybody refill their glasses and 
have a cigarette in Dan's case. Um, we will be back in for us a few minutes time and for you listeners a few seconds time uh, by answering some of your questions and also by discussing very exciting news that Argentina have named a full strength um, squad for their upcoming World Cup qualifiers, which apparently are going to happen and are going to involve players flying over from Europe, which will be interesting. Um, we will discuss that and much more after this music. Don't go away. back um the first thing to say in this second half is to thank from the bottom of our hearts all of our lovely patreon supporters you too can get lots of extra content from hand of pod if you go to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash hand of pod and sign up with one of those reward tiers you'll get extra episodes you'll get occasional videos there will only be occasional until we're back into the full regular uh, recording schedule and I can start doing them more regularly uh, on a slightly higher reward tier um, on the Hand of VOD uh, program. That's Hand of Video on Demand. Very snappy title I came up with myself. Um, all this and more, you can start off with a $2 a month donation if you can't afford anything more. But if you go for $5 a month, you currently get the whole lot. And if you're really generous, uh, do contact me before going for this. You can sponsor the show. If you are the person who has got a show, uh, one episode long sponsorship uh, coming up, then don't worry. I haven't forgotten. I'm still hoping that one day soon I'll be able to uh, complete your, your full request. Although I fear that uh, the sponsorship might just have to happen in a couple of weeks time and that the shirt will have to follow later. But anyway, um, for all of that lovely stuff and more, get over to patreon.com slash hand Now, Conmebol say, FIFA say and Conmebol say, that World Cup qualifiers are going to be played on the 8th and the 13th of October um, next, which is in like two weeks' time. Good luck with that, you might think, but supposedly it's going to happen. Um, well, and the, the, Libertadores, the Libertadores games are supposed to be kind of um, like, they're supposed to test in a way how, how the, the flights and the and the whole scheme is working, and uh, judging by its its first couple of games, um, I mean, it's fair to say it's got mixed results. Yeah, um, and when you add in the complication that a hell of a lot of players are going to be needing to get flights down here from Europe um, for the internationals, we'll see what happens. But anyway, uh, the squad that's been named so far, apparently this is going to be added to with some players from the local league, one suspects that those are going to be players who are all involved in the Libertadores because none of the others have played in absolutely ages. But uh, the foreign-based players who are in Lionel Escaloni's squad, Argentina are going to be playing Ecuador and at home and then Bolivia away. I think I've got that the right way around. Um, ah, Emiliano Martinez, congratulations, Aston Villa fans. Juan Musso and Agustin Marquesin in goal. Uh, the defenders are Juan Foyt, Renzo Sarabia, 
Germán Petzela, Leonardo Balerdi, Nicolás Otamendi, Nguyen Pérez, Walter Kahneman, um, of course, isn't playing in Europe, he's playing in Brazil, but still, Nicolás Tagliafico, Marcos Acuña, um, and, oh God, is Facundo Medina a defender or a midfielder? I've forgotten already. It's uh, right, a left back. Left back. Oh, he's, yes, of course, yes, right. Uh, so now the midfielders are Leandro Paredes, Guido Rodriguez, Rodrigo de Paul, Ezequiel Palacios, Giovanni Lo Celso, Nicolás Dominguez, and the forwards, Lionel Messi, Paolo Dybala, Lucas Ocampos, Nicolás González. Um, some of these might be forward come midfielders as well. I'm trying to do this, but the, 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 the national team's Twitter account just put them all out in this order. And it seemed like it was in order to start with, and now it isn't. Um, Nicolás González, Alexis McAllister, uh, getting his... Well, no, I, I was going to say his first call-up. It's his first call-up since joining Brighton, of course, um, but not his first call-up for the national team. Alejandro Gómez. Joaquin Correa, Lucas Alario, Lautaro Martinez, Giovanni Simeone, and Christian Pavon, um, who's the only MLS player in this list. Um, some of those players are not expected to actually travel. Uh, Dybala, I think in particular, off the top of my head, is, is one who apparently is injured at the moment. But Scaloni decided to name him anyway for some reason. Um, I think so Gonzalez also. Nicolás Gonzalez also was injured. I don't remember... <laughs> Well, I don't know whether he's uh, recovered. They, they actually, I actually think they got injured after um, being named in the squad, which is why he named such a large squad, because um, these are only the players uh, who are playing abroad. So it is expected that they will be joined by another more rather credible uh, number of, uh, of players uh, located in Argentina. So we're going to have uh, a of about 40, 40 players something. What do we think of the the list? I mean, it, it's there aren't really any huge surprise names there, I don't think, are there? Well, um, there are some very welcome uh, returns, I think, for the national side. Joaquin Correa and uh, Papu Gomez, uh, in particular, were a couple of players who missed out on several lists of uh, of Scalonis in the in the recent past and have been um, in a lot of demand from. Uh, from a lot of from a lot of fans, I think, and uh, they finally earned, I think, the the, the call-ups on the basis of uh, well, basically, they've been very very regular um, after the the return of football post lockdown, especially Papu Gomez, who was, was instrumental in Atala, almost uh, fighting for for the title in in Italy and uh, giving uh, PSG a really a really uh, a run for the money in the in the Champions League. Um, I I think you could say the like the biggest surprises could probably be Facundo Medina, who who had an inspired start to his career at uh, at Lom in in Ligon, and uh, of course Christian Pavon, who has been called for the first time since uh, being burnt out by Jorge Sampaoli in Russia at the World Cup. Talking and about Pavon, of, sorry, uh, I, I I just saw the the MLS uh, recommended all the South American players not to travel. So ah, that's, yes, that's be what fun. I was going to mention. They're probably not going to allow any commonable players uh, to join up with their national teams for qualifiers. Well, uh, that's going to be fun. Yeah, it's not going to yeah. make that much difference, I don't think, to Argentina, but there are several nations, uh, Venezuela, Peru, I think, who have a lot of players oh, active yeah. in MLS, and that's going to be a bit of a problem for them. Yep. 
Yeah, and and especially Pavon, who I think he he must have been so delighted to to be called back to the national team after after being non-existent uh, since he moved to the MLS. And uh, and yeah, that's this is not gonna he's not gonna like this. And in terms of like um, important absentees, I think I had to I had to highlight Angel Di Maria, who is not happy for being left out, who is certainly not happy for being left out of this squad, and he. He has lashed out at uh, at Scaloni and at some Argentina fans who were rather uh, happy to see the back of him. I think, and you uh, also that before playing shit for six years, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's in a way. And I think and there's something interesting he said. Like um, his friends have recommended him to like uh, to rest and to enjoy the Eiffel Tower, and he'd rather be. Um, He'd rather be insulted by 45 million people and still play for the national team or something like that, he said. Um, and also, um, there's the very surprising absen- uh, absence of uh, Lisandro Martinez, who I think is to this day the best um, Argentina defender uh, playing right now. And for some reason, he's still not getting the call from Lionel Scaloni. It wouldn't be an Argentina squad list if we weren't pulling our hair out over a missing defender who should very clearly be there. Um, regarding the MLS and, and, and that decision, if it is an MLS decision, it'll be interesting to, to see whether um, well whether any of the, the federations are appealing to FIFA over it because I think that FIFA uh, have said that um, their normal rules still apply, i.e. if you have a, if, if clubs have players called up, then they have to release them because it's competitive. Um, FIFA date so it'll be interesting to see whether obviously if it's a US government decision then that's another matter um, but yeah if, if you if you know listeners then let us know but I, um, I think that uh, regarding to Europe for example Infantino had to to promise promise the, 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 the teams that the players uh, coming back to Europe after the qualifiers they uh, wouldn't uh, be uh, uh, shouldn't do the, the, the quarantine or, or to isolate for 14 days. That's why they finally released the, the, or they, they said they, they will release the players. Uh, before that, I think there were, there were the, the doubts of that's why it wasn't confirmed until this uh, this week, I think, or, or, or the other week that the, the, the qualifiers will finally be played. It makes sense because, I mean, um, it's, it's not like I agree. Uh, in terms that I think you should keep monitoring yourself. But on the other hand, if you are into a more um, controlled environment and then you travel to another controlled environment and come back to the first one, I mean, it kind of makes sense that you don't have that much of a risk. Again, it's not like I'm condoning uh, because it may sound like I, I, I am, but I'm not. But also I see the reasoning behind and try because otherwise you're gonna travel two weeks and then uh, tra- travel and wait two weeks and play after a lot yeah. of time. So yes. and two two weeks so without uh, training, without football, without anything. Exactly. It, yeah, it, it has a, yeah, a no. really big impact on a footballer. And they're not they're not traveling from you know th- these guys aren't living in city center flats over in Europe and they're not coming back here and then going to weddings with two hundred of their mates and then. <laughs> spreading everything around are they they, they live in closed <laughs> communities they're coming to a closed community um they're, they're flying on 
probably private jets or, or chartered planes yeah. or whatever. So yeah, relatively speaking, of course, it's, it's, it's probably fairly low risk in spite of the distances involved. Um, we will, of course, preview those matches closer to the actual time. As I said, they're going to be played in about three weeks. Um, but yeah, for now, there we go. And, and when the local list gets announced, we will let you know who's in that as well and, and what we make of it. Um, moving on to some listeners' questions now. There was one that came in just after we recorded a couple of weeks ago, and it is from Bud Bundy, who says, has the COVID-19 break finished Danny Osvaldo's career? I mean, we can but hope. I mean, it depends if um, domestic football ever <laughs> gets started again. Uh, that's all gone very quiet, actually. Um, actually, this week, we do have uh, a number of friendlies. Uh, tomorrow morning. On... Hmm? 9.30 and 10 a.m. kickoffs, aren't they, tomorrow? Yeah. Without referees. And, and there was some talk that uh, that was going to take place without a referee. Which yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Definitely be worth watching if that's the case. Um, I have a feeling that's not going to, to ultimately be the case. Uh, they will get some sort of official there to, uh, to stop complete anarchy. But I don't know. Yeah, first step towards normality, possibly. Uh, I've, I've become... I've become, as listeners will be aware, increasingly disillusioned with the whole way that Argentine football, and in particular the top flight, um, has been run ever since we've, well, since long before we started recording this podcast, really. Um, but I, I would be completely on board if they decided to bring back, or rather introduce, the Liga de Football Profesional um, and have none of the matches involving refs. That, that would be, yes, tremendous <laughs> entertainment. I mean, I, for one, I celebrate that the quarantine situation mainly forgot about Daniel Swaldo up to now. Yes, indeed. Um, Rami says, can we have your view on the debate on Nacho Fernandez getting or not getting the River Plate number 10 shirt? This, of course, being because Juan Fernando Quintero is now deeply and dearly missed because he's gone to China. Um I for not one, to China. could not care less, uh, possibly, about any subject in the world. Shirt numbers, Dan. You're not a purist? <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, uh, it, I mean, if you, if you look at it from the point of view of a purist, I don't think Nacho Fernandez plays as a 10. No, that's what I was thinking. He's, he's more of a, an 8, really, isn't he? Exactly. Andres, you're the River so... fan. Though. What do you make of this? Who would you give the number 10 shirt to? I don't care about the number. It's uh, uh, yes, he he's uh, of course with the distances that we could mark uh, is like more animista style, uh, and uh, I don't think he is a, a typical number ten. But uh, yes, regarding the the, the 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 number he uses or not, is I think he has been playing great with the twenty six, and, and and leave it like that. Uh, I really don't care about that. So there you go. Sorry for that take, Rami. It's probably not quite as um, heated as you were hoping for, but there we go. Cody Laboy <laughs> says, what are your preferred Sherba Mate brands? Aguantadora. I knew you were going to say that, Tony. I know. Las Tunas over here. But I haven't had it for, since the so I've had to slam it with the supermarket brands. It's not been easy, folks. Yeah, we, we've got a, an agroecological... Uh, store just around the corner from here so so we've been um 
fairly well supplied. I think we're on Chamarra at the moment just because it's, yes. it's the, was the easiest option, the most well-stocked option last time I went in the shop. It, it does come with quite a bit of dust though. Um, but yeah, Calena's quite nice. I like that. And Shubia y Sol, which I think was the one that I made the uh, video on how to make a mate um, with for our, our Patreon supporters. Um, Andres, Santi, any opinions? I don't usually drink uh, mate. I I, uh, I like more uh, coffee than than mate, so I, I could give my opinion about that. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a mate connoisseur either. Like uh, my, I'm a casual drinker. Uh, I I like to drink from other people's mates, but uh, yeah, I'm, I do not have a formed opinion about that. Uh, Cody also asks of the four Argentine teams who are in a position to qualify for the round of 16 in the Libertadores uh, which he defines as River, Racing, Defensa, Justicia and Boca which if any do you think will miss out which ones won't get through you say Racing are in right Um, unless something extremely unusual happens in these last two games probably Defensa yeah Yeah, Defensa They've got to be the most. Not, I mean, I wouldn't say unlikely because it's it's in their own hands, but but they'll have to work hardest for it. That's... Yeah, I mean, in, in in terms of the gap to third place and, and disregarding positions in in their groups, Boca have got a four point gap to third place. Um, Racing have got, as you say, down a six point gap to third place, even though they're actually point lower in in the group than Boca. Are. Boca six top. Six points and six goals. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, River. River have got a three-point gap um, to third place. And if we're taking goal difference into account, of course, then as I mentioned already, uh, quite a big advantage there. Their goal difference is plus 11. And San Paolo's who are in third is zero. Um, and Defensive Justicia, I've scrolled past, but they've got a one-point gap to third place. They're, they're on six points and Olympia are on five. So if any of the Argentine sides, other than Tigre, um, are going to not make it into the last 16, at this stage, you'd have to say that defensive was DCL look the most likely to not do. Um, Tom Robinson says, would you rather receive a video call from Eber Banega or from Juan Carlos Ameri? Um, this is a question which unwittingly, of course, because Tom tweeted this question before I, before we started recording. Um, but it, it references the joke that I made at the very beginning about wanting to keep it in our trousers, even though we were recording on Zoom. Um, presumably, if Tom's heard about it, then some of our other listeners would have heard as well that there was a senator on a Zoom call uh, the last couple of days who was uh, caught in flagranti during a Senate meeting on Zoom. Not quite sure. I mean, I, I, I've read his explanation. I'm not quite sure how much I actually believe it. Um, you know, the, the it, most, also, most, it also um, references a, a, a story about Eber Banega from way back in the mist of time when we started the podcast pretty much and right after Eber Banega first moved to Valencia. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I try and avoid having video on for either of those. You know, Sam, the, uh, that, that story about the senator was the most uh, read uh, article today in The Guardian. In the website. Oh, I, I, I did not know that, no. So probably <laughs> everybody knows. <laughs> We're going global. Woo! Yeah. yeah. We made it. Uh, Phil says, I'm curious for non-Lanus opinions on Marcelino uh, Moreno. Do you think he will be more little Mickey Almiron or Piti Martinez in the MLS? Sorry, in MLS. It's not the MLS, is it? 
I know, I know some people get very heated about that. Uh, how do we yeah. think <laughs> Marcelino will do, gents? I mean, purely as a player, he's more, he's more similar, I think, to Miron. Uh, he's done very well for Lanús. Um, PD, yeah, he never quite got to grips with, with MLS by all accounts. Like the people I talked to who are in the know said he's just been a massive disappointment and, and they're extremely delighted to have, to have flogged him for, for as much as they did. I think he's gone to Saudi Arabia or the UAE or Qatar, one of those. Well, in fairness, I think the, the, the change in manager from Martino to Frank de Boer really played uh, against him. Yep. I think. Yeah, Atlanta right now, it's doing really bad. So, it's, it's not the, the, the best environment for maybe. I, I, I mean, in, in context, if, if I, we were putting uh, Almiron in this Atlanta team, I don't think it's going to be as good uh, the, the previous stint. I'm also not entirely sure they know what they're getting with Marcelino because the guys have been talking to had him down as like a striker or something like that. But over the last someone, year at least, someone good at he's been playing. He's been playing uh, left side of midfield. So I'm not. Um, I hope they've brought the right player, but but we shall see. That could be a disappointment. He's not a goal getter by any means. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of when uh, Jonas Gutierrez first signed for Newcastle. And I saw a bunch of English papers all saying, why have they signed this guy? His goal per game record is useless for a striker. And I was like, he's not a striker. What are you talking about? Maro Formica went, went to Blackburn. Uh, and Batistuta. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was a <laughs> fantastic quote. I think I can't remember whether that was on Match of the Day or something. Career, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, Neil Yelland says, who is the best journeyman striker applying his trade in the Argentine top flight? He has to have played for at least seven clubs. Um, I mean, it's been such a long time since we've seen anything in the Argentine top flight that I struggle to remember who is playing for who. But is fortunately, still playing in, in the Argentine top flight? Who, really? sorry? It's in Argentinos, right? Is, is Tanque Silva still playing? Well, that's who Tom Robinson, Tom Robinson responded to this tweet with a photo of, of Santiago Silva, uh, which was very fortunate because, as I say, I'd completely forgotten. And I think he would be my go-to reply as well. Um, and and it's all the more impressive any... because he's not even Argentine. Yeah. No, indeed. And he, he's definitely played for at least seven clubs. We know that without even having to check him on Wikipedia. No. And, uh... I have thought uh, Ciro Rius seeing how well he's done this week, but he's only played for six clubs, apparently, not seven. Uh, how about Pepe Sand? Pepe Sand's got to be there, surely. Although, I don't know if he's played for seven clubs. Uh, River, Racing, Lanús. Maybe seven if you include the foreign ones. Oh, I forgot about Banfield. I remembered. Ah, no, he's played well, for fucking... No, wait, look, uh, only in Argentina he played for Colón, Independiente Rivadavia, Defensor de Belgrano, River, Banfield, Colón... Lanús, Racing, Tigre, Argentinos, Boca Unidos, and Aldo Civi. That's 12. That's so many I've forgotten about. Um, about five teams overseas as well. Yeah. Easy. Having said that, the only one of those clubs he scored any goals at is Lanús, where he's <laughs> the all-time top goal scorer. Well, he's the uh, yeah, top goal scorer of all time. And in fact, I think I'm right in saying, I, I worked this out like a year ago at the beginning of last season. Um, if he was still playing, and obviously... 
worked this out long before we knew there was going to be a global pandemic that was going to shut football down as well. Um, but I worked out that if, if he scored a goal on or after a certain date, he will become the Argentine top flight's all-time oldest goal scorer, taking the record from. Andres, do you want to jump in? I think you are missing, of course, not perhaps the best of the best, but uh, there is the obvious with Sabrao. Okay, yeah. No, I was, I was going to say playing in Argentina because the record of, of oldest all-time Argentine top-flight goal scorer is held by a river striker, yeah. and I've forgotten his name. So I was hoping that you could supply it for me. Um, but yeah, it, he, the, will, he will take that record. Yes, thank you. Uh, he, and Sand will take that record now if he scores when the top-flight um, reconvenes, because he's already older than Labrune. Uh, off the top of my head, I think the date that I worked out was something like the fourteenth of September. Um, so he's 40 already. one goal Whoa. is all he needs. Yeah, yeah, he's like 42 or 43 or so. He's ancient. Um, he's, he's 40 since July. Oh, he's, he is 40 now. Oh, okay, I thought he was a bit older. Yeah. But anyway, I, I worked this out about a year ago and had forgotten and I've just been remembered, reminded of it by your mentioning him. Um, Perfect Tommy says, what is your favourite type of empanada? The questions are getting a bit silly now. Yeah. Tucumana. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like the Sampena yeah. ones. They're a bit smaller. Um, but in terms of flavours, I, I very much enjoy Omita. But it really depends on what mood I'm in, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, my, my stomach ache, sorry, my stomach ache was, was for eating too much empanadas, so I'm really... Of course it was. Happy <laughs> talking about empanadas right now. AB says, a cold start with no local league was the narrative at the beginning. But will it prove helpful to have all of the eggs in the Copa Libertadores baskets, not having to divide efforts across two campaigns. Uh, it's certainly going to result in less moaning from managers about how, oh, how can we possibly be expected to deal with all of this fixture congestion? This is true, yeah. <laughs> I think they can't complain about this uh, fixture congestion. Uh, Daniel Tunnard, friend of the podcast, says, will a man ever be born who can swim as fast as a shark? I think we've had that one before. Uh, Dan Colasimone, former contributor to the podcast, asks, what year did music peak? 1977 or 78, I would go for. Although, um, if, you wanna, if you want to be provided with a more like uh, modern answer, I really, really, really like the music that came out in 2001, to be precise. Okay. Well, obviously, our tastes are, are very different here, Santi, because <laughs> I don't know much about your musical taste, but I do know that you're not quite as big a fan of... Uh, disco and funk because I am but throw a couple uh, of album titles I, for I us do really, I do really like disco as a, as a matter of fact but I was oh okay good <laughs> yeah I was uh, 83 just because <laughs> um, well I was preparing because 2001 saw the releases of uh, you know the debut of the Strokes and uh, Gorillaz uh, Muse um, also the White Stripes with White Blood Cells uh, yeah it was a really good year uh, other questions we have had. Darren Paul says, what are the chances, Tony, I think this one's for you, chances of the women's season getting underway? We need to see Hunkost bossing the midfield for Racing. Uh, well, today the, um, the teams are starting to get the, the test. So I'm expecting um, friendlies in a couple of weeks, but there's no set date to the return of the, of the tournament. When it does, is this going to be an entirely new season with last season? Just no that, that's winners, part of... That's part of what, what's being discussed 
because um, technically Boca is going to be the representative in the Copa Libertadores, but they're going to need uh, somebody to actually uh, start setting up the new the new season. So uh, maybe they're going to they're going to go the route of the NWSL and play like glorified uh, friendlies for a month or two, and then start the season. That's right. my bet. Okay. Cool. Uh, Darren also says, is there a better dressed manager than Becasese? And can cranky old pundits do one? I'm not sure what he means with the second question there, but is there a better dressed manager than Becasese? I'll let Dan answer. Um, I mean, his, his look for the game on Wednesday, was it, against the Alianza, was, was bold. Yeah, sports jacket and, and monkey old grey tracksuit bottoms. I think we've all been there when we've had to do you know, meetings and, and interviews or whatnot on Zoom. Uh, just, you know, put everything, put all the attention on what's on up top, up top and, and down below, you just, you just wing it. Uh, so I think, I don't know if he's the best dress, but, but definitely it was the, um, it was the outfit that, that best reflected the times we're living in. Uh, Dan, would you, would you say <laughs> that at some point... We will see Becasese uh, with a um, uh, sport jacket or something like that and shorts. I think that is a real possibility um, as kind of the summer months approach and and the nights start getting warmer. Uh, if anyone could pull that off out of um, out of the yeah. coaches and the Libertadores, it will be Becasese. Uh, yeah, suits and and, well, and hotas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure about pull it off, but he's certainly the most likely to attempt it. Yeah, and he will pull it off. So. Yeah, with the uh, with the man bun as well. Let's not forget. No, indeed. Um, I think that we've come to a natural conclusion now. I mean, the questions have stopped coming in, which is probably just for the best. Um, although we do greatly appreciate them all, of course. And we've got a bit more recording to do because we will now start to record something or other, God knows what, for our wonderful patreon supporters so just a quick reminder again that you can go to patreon.com slash hand pod and sign up there um for now unless anybody's got anything to add i'm gonna um, take that as a no no uh then we shall say thank you and goodbye from english dan goodbye thank you for listening from santi bye it's always a pressure from andres goodbye thank you Tony. Thank you. And from me, thanks and goodbye.